Welcome back, everybody, to Critical Conversations, episode number 20. 19, I think. Oh, man. Is it 19? Yeah, We're it close. No, I think it's 20. <laughs> oh, you might be right, actually. I think it might this be This might 20. be the first time that I'm right at Jared's Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> episode 20, which would be a landmark. Jared's confirming now. Um, uh, yes, I am. So... Welcome, if this is your first time, to Critical Conversations. My name is Sam Castles. My co-host, as always, Jared Bessie. And uh, yeah, Critical Conversations is a show where we sit down, have some good conversations about current events, news, politics, and just try to take a level-headed approach on it and see through a lot of the noise and the sensationalism behind today's media. What's the final ruling? We are, in fact, on number 20. So you, you got it. Wow. We hit the number milestone 20. and you remembered. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's good to have you with us if it's your first time. Um, today we are talking about Cuba yeah. and kind of a random topic if you look at our past couple episodes. But basically, right, we've been doing a lot of news lately, a lot of news, a lot of politics. Um, this is kind of what I hope will be a bit of a mini series as we've we sort of looked into parliament versus uh, Congress and we had a little bit of look at different countries, but something I think that is increasingly interesting um first of all from just an educational perspective is looking at mm -hmm. other countries what kind of structures they have uh there's enough advanced countries now that a lot of comparisons are helpful we look at different healthcare systems different voting systems uh, it's definitely to the advantage of countries to look at what's working for other countries what isn't working and there is a lot of noise and conversation about what countries are doing what well and what right. um, are doing not some things not well and one that has always been curious is Cuba it's had a wild uh, history to say the it's least crazy history like I knew basics about Cuban history just from you know the American eyes parts of it but I was just reading through a bunch of history yesterday and just overwhelmed with how much has happened there in the yeah. last few hundred years Right. It's really crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, and for me and you, we're younger, we're Gen Z. Right. This is, we didn't really, like, we lived through this. You know, we were alive when uh, Fidel Castro handed over power to his right. brother. And um, when his brother handed over power and there was the Cuban Missile Crisis, which, when was Cuban Missile Crisis? That was in the 70s, 70s. So that's before our timeline. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about you, but uh, yeah, no, it is. Yeah, that's before yeah, 60, us. 62. Right. There's like the Bay of Pigs, all of this history that older uh, people will probably have lived to, through and remember. But for us, a lot of it sort of happened before we were even alive. And, um, and now it's kind of settled down a little bit, but it was back in the news a lot this week and that's kind of why uh, we wanted to talk about it uh, for yeah. a few different things but hopefully this can be something that turns into a bit of a mini series where we look at sort of the history and uh, politics of different countries try to figure out um, okay is this country all it's hyped up to be I know that for example I'd love to talk about Sweden or Norway they're countries that get talked a lot about here in America as models for healthcare. Um, yeah countries that have experienced great growth. We could talk about China, talk about um, Venezuela, a bunch of countries that are important for these philosophical arguments because people love to make examples. And 
uh, with Cuba, uh, we'll get into this more, but I see that a lot because uh, even in this recent election in Florida, right, we have a lot of right. Cuban immigrants who fled uh, Cuba when uh, Castro came to power, and now they have kids, and there's a lot of first-generation uh, Americans here that yeah. um, are voting, and those Cuban immigrants are still voting, and it's very interesting because they're kind of squeamish about socialism because it's something that they saw in Cuba, and because of that, the right tends to point us at Cuba as like failed socialist state, but the left um, in some ways will prop it up. If you're a socialist, there's it's complicated, and we'd love to sit down today and sort of uh, break it down as much as we can. Obviously, it's going to be a short video, and it's a long history. <laughs> yeah, um, I think this is, this is going to be kind of a fun series just to both increase our own knowledge of other countries, because I feel like often at least a lot of our education I feel like is very American-centric um, and I took a class in comparative politics international politics um, but I definitely think that there's just a whole I mean we talked about this in our Congress versus Parliament episode there's a whole there's so many other systems and so many other ways to do government out there um, and just to live life in general and so I think it'll be worth looking at some of these countries just doing kind of broad strokes of like okay, let's talk about this. What kind of thing, what should we learn more about? What do we want to, you know, get further knowledge on to have these kinds of discussions? Just so that when these things get brought up, we're not just like, ah, oh, yeah, Cuba, and you just kind of say the bullet points that are, you know, that you think that the, uh, you know, your side that you agree with says. Right, exactly. Because the truth is, and I hope that's something that viewers want to walk away with today is that right. it is extremely complicated which doesn't mean there's no right answer or that you can't have an opinion or feel you're right it's just right. that to really speak on the issue um it's a lot more than just socialist nation bad or socialist nation good and you know whatever yeah um, for sure but before we jump into all of that we're going to start with a little bit of domestic news for the most part yeah. um yeah do you want to open off, this up with that first story tom brady won another super bowl <laughs> As a New England fan, I was very happy to see him win one more, even though I was sad it wasn't in New England. Um, but yeah, I'm sure everyone knows, and that was fun. Not I was finding Super Bowl, but hey, Tom Brady got his seventh. <laughs> right, uh, unbelievable. I'm, I'm sad because on Sunday I was thinking before we recorded, we recorded on Super Bowl Sunday. I was like, I'm going to surprise Jared and ask him who he thinks is going to win the Super Bowl, and he's going to say Tom Brady and the Bucks. And then, uh, like, we'll see what happens. But I totally forgot, and I robbed you because you totally would have said the Bucks are going to win. Actually, I was pretty – I wanted the Bucks to win. And so – but I was pretty confident the Chiefs were going to pull it out. Really? So I don't know. Yeah. So I was, I was proven wrong. Although, then, I was pretty confident the Bucks were going to win because I had a cup that I took to church every <laughs> Sunday that had the Bucks on it. And every Sunday I brought it to church, they, they didn't lose. And so I brought it the last, like, seven Sundays of the season. And so they never lost. So. Wow. Amazing. I, I picked them to win too. I did like a pigskin pick them for the playoffs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I picked them and, uh, but I expected it to be a closer game for sure. I, yeah, for sure. Cool. All right. All so right. Some of our other, one of the other big announcements to happen this weekend is um, the Dallas Mavericks announced that, or at least Mark Cuban announced earlier this week that the Mavs have not been playing the national anthem before the games this whole season. And it was just kind of noticed because fans were in the stadium for the first time this week. Um, and as people that are from Dallas, um, like Sam's from Dallas originally, it was just like, oh, this isn't really interesting. And so obviously this national anthem in sports has been in the news 
constantly over the last couple of years, it feels like. Um, so this was kind of a big step. I feel like no, like not often the organization itself has kind of come out. Yeah. Like, like I know NBA had their big black lives matter kind of movement during the finals last year or through right. the, throughout the bubble. Um, but I feel like this was kind of the first. Yeah. Step. I feel like in the past it had been limited to like, Oh, well we're letting players kneel or stay in the locker room if they want. And right. that was controversial. And all of a sudden, yeah, not playing it at all was kind of unprecedented. I'm sure there's examples of it. Although the NBA was pretty swift to be like, all teams are required to play the national anthem before the start of the game, as in protocol with league rules. Although I don't know if that will change if owners change their mind like Mark Cuban. So, yeah. Anyway, pretty interesting. Yeah. So. That was the first big thing. Um, yeah. We had uh, Gina, so we talked, I know we've talked a bunch about cancel culture and kind of this, like people getting fired for things. Another instance that happened, was it this morning or yesterday? Um, Gina Carano, or today, yeah, uh, who's the actress who's in The Mandalorian. She's one of the rebels. I don't remember her name in the show, Cara Dune or something. Yeah, something like that. She's an MMA fighter. Yeah. She had been pretty right-wing and posted some right-wing things throughout the last couple of months or last couple of years, I think. Um, and then she had posted something comparing um, like being silenced or being rejected for your beliefs similar to being in Nazi Germany. And so, of course, people freaked out and she was fired. So... Yeah, I think it was a couple other tweets, but that one was definitely the... Yeah, like, it wasn't like, if she'd just done that, I don't doubt it would have happened. Right. Like, it was this right. cumulative effort. Yeah, right. Of It was nothing, you know, too crazy, like QAnon. It was just, like, kind of a series of, like, okay, this is pushing the line for a celebrity, right? Like, usually you have to yeah, be it's, pretty... It's interesting, because I feel like there's such a, bub a bubble of, like, celebrities and, like, Twitter culture... And like all of these things, because they don't even understand like so much of conservative movement that like I see these kinds of posts all the time from people right. that aren't that. And like, so when I read it, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I've seen this kind of thing before. <laughs> like yeah. it wasn't that surprising. And I think um, it just shows you like how, you know, in the bubble that that part of the country is or that part of right. society, which, yeah, anyway. Twitter, Twitter is its own kind of the world like i think i think it's really curious this is definitely just my opinion but i feel like a lot of um international uh people who have opinions about america they they see twitter and they see like <laughs> facebook or whatever and they think oh, all americans are like what's on twitter and yep. it's really interesting because i just a very small subsection of the world really that's on twitter and posts on twitter um, yep yeah so, it's curious cool uh last bit where is the uh impeachment is fully into the senate now so that's been going on this week uh the house obviously impeached it's been like two weeks ago and then they took a two-week pause to sort of yeah bail out a bunch of almost biden a month ago now. yeah almost a month ago a biden uh appointees and kind of the first round of the biden administration and now they are hearing arguments about impeaching trump uh, or yeah, there was a lot of convicting yeah. convicting Trump. Yeah, so the impeachment is technically over, but now it's about the right. conviction. Uh, so this is the trial portion as opposed to just a, a vote on, on impeachment. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, there was a lot of drama over all of like five of Trump's attorneys quit a few days before the trial began. And so that was kind of a whole thing. Um, and then this week, there's just been a lot of chatter about Senate Republicans not taking it very seriously. And so it's just a pretty interesting um, thing to keep your eye on. I don't really, I don't think it's going to matter because I don't think they have 60 votes. And I don't think they ever had 60 votes. They took the ruling to declare it unconstitutional and five senators, four or five senators agreed that it was, or that it wasn't unconstitutional to go forward. So that's why, so it, it would have passed either way if, if that, that's a, a true majority vote. Um, but I doubt there's going to be five more that are going to vote to convict. Yeah, very, very unlikely. So it'll be about another few days of just kind of, I don't know. I don't want to yeah. say tr drama, but just presentations and they're going to run Trump's name through the mud as much as possible, even if they don't think they're going to get a conviction. And right. um, I think it's always been a bit about sending a message because it's pretty clear that Republicans are not going to convict him, but yeah, that that's worthwhile to the Democrats. So that's what they're going to do. Yep. I think that's uh, it for the news. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. The, there is some current Cuba news that sort of yeah. first put this on the radar. It's kind of been a, a busy month for Cuba. Um, something that happened really recently in the past, I think it's four days, is that uh, Cuba announced it will allow private business to operate in most sectors instead of um, what it was very limited to. Before. It was just tourist sectors before, right? So these kind of small little areas, right? And now yeah, I, I think so. Much broader. Um, you should definitely, if you want to look up into the weeds about which, which economic activities, but basically the idea is Cuba has been socialist or communist, whatever, like the labels are complicated, but it's been state controlled um, most of the large industries for a long time. Yeah. And uh, it has just struggled economically speaking, and we won't, we'll get into sort of some of the details behind that struggle for years, but after this pandemic hit, it, uh, in my eyes, this is sort of crying uncle and saying, all right, we have to sort of let this more people open up and try to create some, some economic growth, some movement. Yeah, apparently it fell, um, the GDP fell 11% last year during the pandemic and which is it, you know, a lot of countries have been hit really hard, but for Cuba, this was like their first huge downturn in 30 years, like, Th this much and so it was kind of a wake-up call i think to be like okay something needs to change and so they're yeah. hoping this will influx economic growth so yeah and then uh last month in the news basically the trump administration added cuba to their the state the list of state sponsors of terrorism so this is basically i don't know proverbial naughty list <laughs> as yeah, far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, I was like, I don't really know what that means. Obama took him off of that because they were on it for a long time. Right, they had been on it since I think the 80s and right. Obama had finally taken it off, right? Yeah, and I feel like that's just posturing at that point if Trump's going to do that kind of his last, you know, last few months in off, last month in office. It's like, okay, I don't even right. know. Right. I don't know. Interesting. Right. <laughs> but. Yeah. And it's kind of in the last few years, like we said, Obama has had uh, taken them off and Obama had reopened the uh, US embassy in Cuba. 
And I think Just Wikipedia says that Trump had closed it. So, um, although I, I'm kind of unclear on that, so. Yeah, it's just interesting to note that just like just since 2015 have people been allowed, U.S. citizens have been allowed to travel to Cuba. So it's really Recent not very stuff. long, like yeah. five, six years, um, yeah. not a long time. So, yeah, so I was kind of curious. I, had, I knew a little bit about Cuba, like, but I had not really done any deep dive into it. And um, with the, all of this recent news and Cuba being, you know, a socialist country, there's, I have heard in the past, like we talked about a little bit, the, the right will slam Cuba and its economic turmoil as like an example of felt, failed socialism, but the left, the more like radical socialism or whatever you want to call it, the farther left wing will hold up Cuba as a, an, a good example and say that the issues, it has its issues, but largely it would have worked if not for this years and years of tension between the uh, Cuban government and the, or Cuba as a nation and the U.S. Um, so right. I thought we could break down a little bit of the history of Cuba and sort of talk about how it got to where it is today. Um, yeah, so it's kind of crazy. <laughs> yes. I mean, originally found by Columbus way back when, like this thing is, Cuba has been an integral part of like, U.S. kind of history and like this kind of yeah the Americas since the beginning, um, and so and then Spain got involved and was the kind of main um, occupier, I guess occupier, yeah, for a long time. Um, but yeah, there's just a ton of a ton of crazy history that went on through the 17, 1800s, yeah, and I 1900s mean, again, <laughs> like right, crazy. yeah. It's it sort of feels like your prototype for small nations that got just destroyed by imperialism and yep. it was Spain had it the Brits were there for a bit U.S. was there the Monroe Doctrine kind of was applied like because that was saying you know that um Spain, or like European nations could not take anything in the Americas but like Cuba was an exception to that because it was like right. oh, Spain already has it so I guess it's fine. But then yeah. they wanted to be annexed to the U.S. because Spain was kind of being, they were kind of getting fed up with the people there. Anyway, right. yeah, it's just a lot, of, a lot of craziness. Yeah, and when the Spanish were occupying Cuba in the early days, they imported uh, slaves from Africa. And now there's a large African population, African-Cuban, Afro-Cuban population. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, just a really rich history and a really sad history in a lot of ways, just so many years of human rights violations and um, war, just wars over and over. Yeah, I mean, they've got so many different kind of war. I mean, there's war for, several wars for independence <laughs> throughout yeah. their history, several uprisings, coups, some bloodless, some not. Right. Um, yeah, so we can talk a little bit about um, basically – the more recent history, I, I mean, the Spanish uh, occupied it for a long time. Right. And then, let's see. They left in 1898. So it was handed over temporarily to the U.S. in 99, beginning of 99. Right. Um, and basically the U.S. was like, did what they did a lot in that era, was to kind of take over. Okay, we're in charge. We will help you set up a democracy. We'll get you like 
constitution written. I will get you all these things. And then we'll kind of put a person in charge and then kind of hands off. Although hands off being very vague and still we're going to still import a lot of things and we're still going to tax you and we're still going to do a lot yeah. of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's the US, I guess, has a very complicated history of like being in the occupied, like occupying a territory and having mm -hmm. this, I mean, Congress had, you know, debates over what to do with Cuba. Like it was kind of represented uh, the imperialist versus anti-imperialist debate of that time. Like even, right. I think with the civil war, there was Northern states who wanted to just liberate Cuba and let it uh, kind of be governed by its own people. And then the Southern states that were pro-slavery wanted to sort of, stay in charge of Cuba and treat it as, you know, like a nation that they would protect U.S. interests from. And the sugar, right. sugar is like a huge export from Cuba. And that was something that the Americans definitely used <laughs> for years. Yeah, sugar was super important for their whole, like, yeah, getting tariffs. And this, the Cuban sugar gave, like, a significant edge to the American market. So it became, became very important. Right. Um, yeah. So once the U.S. pulled out, yeah. So that um, was kind of early 1900s, kind of after it was transferred over. Um, there was some presidents, and they was independent, but then kind of it was didn't really work. There was a revolt, and so the U.S. kind of stepped back in, and then World War One hit, and there was a whole bunch of other stuff going on. Um, yeah, let's see what else happened. Yeah, so let's see. In basically in World War One, they had a president um, right. named Geraldo Machado. And yeah, he let's won, see. but then was barred, and then basically the Platt Amendment is what said, correct me if I'm wrong, it was like that we could help, we could like come into other countries that needed um, help, but basically we decided not to interfere in that. And so nothing ended up happening. And then basically World War II kind of like came in and there was just a lot of, yeah, craziness. Yeah, yeah. So I think the big thing is after... Um, in 1940, they had a big election, mm -hmm. right? And this guy, uh, Batista, I don't know how to say his first name, Fulgencio. Fulgencio, yeah. He was endorsed by the Communist Party at first. And he basically won this election and was the president of Cuba. But then the communists sort of, like, declined. And Batista started to become very, like, even though we had a progressive constitution and like mm -hmm. they even really back as early as 1940, they were wanting to promise national healthcare for everyone. And there was a lot of like labor union focus, right. human rights things. But uh, Bautista basically started to become a lot less communist. Like I think he ended up outlaw outlawing the communist party. Is that right? Let's see. Oh, I don't know. I didn't, read that but yeah it's it kind of like switched over and then they were 
like hanging with us in like the late forties, um, early fifties. Um, and so there was the leader in the early fifties, Pardito Orthodoxo, which was part of this liberal democratic group. Right. Uh, and they, he went, he was expected to win, but he committed suicide. So that was unfortunate. Oh, yeah. That was Edward, Eduardo Chivas. Um, and so that kind of like, since he was gone, there was just like a whole bunch of, there was another budless coup a few months later. And it was just like still kind of crazy. Um, yeah, because at some point, uh, yeah, Bautista was, let's see. Yeah, here we go. Um, Bautista, while they were recovering from all of this, they he suspended the Constitution and revoked a lot of political liberties, including the right to strike. And then right. eventually it reached the point where most of the sugar industry was in the U.S. hands and foreigners owned 70% of the arable land. Arable, I don't know. And basically, Bautista was like working with a lot of U.S. and like you said, buddy-buddy. But then in when people started complaining and like the poor were getting poorer and the rich were getting richer, um, Bautista established tighter censorship of the media and he used this bureau for the repression of communist activities and basically just outlawed like communism and censorship. And that's when we start having uh, Fidel Castro and Che uh, I don't know how to say it ever. And yeah, we can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so basically, yeah, so then it hit the Cuban Revolution when we got to the mid-50s um, and it was just kind of these revolutionaries kind of starting up and and there was already kind of this culture of we don't know what's going to happen. We've had so much turmoil in the last couple of years you know, whether it's communists or whatever. And so this um, guy who was super popular or like was super charismatic, just kind of they organized right. this this movement, overthrowed Baptista in 50s. And basically, yeah, this, yeah, just, yeah, attacked. And then eventually this kind of like, they failed at first, but it kind of kept going on. And then Batista was forced to flee in the late 50s, 1959, yeah. and Castro eventually took over. So it's kind of this ongoing kind of like revolution that slowly, slowly built. And once they were, once the U.S. kind of started, was like, ah, we don't know what's going on, so we're going to put some more trade restrictions on you. That kind of was the end of yeah, the end yeah, of Batista's so, administration. Yeah, because it was, it was right like this 40s, early 50s era where communism was. Uh, starting to become like enemy number one in the eyes right because it switched US. from it switched from the, the the Nazi party and like all of this kind of right. stuff became all about communism. Yeah, um, as so the U.S. more and more. So. Right, USSR was starting to grow, and uh, the U.S. was becoming uh, more and more worried about the USSR. So, uh, but Bautista, who was in charge, was anti-communist, and because of right. that, uh, the U.S. highly preferred that. 
Bautista stayed in charge, even though he was kind of terrible and he did a, a lot of things. Um, but they still, he got financial, military, and logistical support from the U.S. But basically, as he continued to fight with Fidel Castro and this, this revolution just kept going, uh, they sort of outlasted Bautista and Bautista. And basically, the U.S. decided, okay, well, we kind of tried to stop this Communist Party from coming to power. It didn't really work. Um, and then uh, once... Fidel Castro was in power, uh, the U.S., like you said, started to be a, a lot more um, hostile towards Cuba. Well, yeah, so it's interesting when, when that kind of transition took place, that was when, like, thousands of Cubans fled to the U.S. Yeah. So they were kind of, all of these people that were fans of Batista's kind of more, you know, less communist type, you know, more westernized stuff was, they were like, oh my gosh, we're now if Castro's taking over, it's time for us to get out of here. And that's kind of what makes up the most of the Cuban yeah. Cuban fleeing fleeing to Florida, right? Yep. Yep. And um, yeah, because yeah, those those were the people, like we said, Bautista, he was allowing uh, a lot of like US trade and US companies to take root in Cuba. And I think a lot of people were getting rich from the US intervention, US companies there, but Castro's like rallying cry was how much it was hurting the poor. And again, like Batista was not, there were not very many civil liberties and um, yeah, it was just a, a tough time for poverty in, in Cuba. So right. just a complicated past there. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then once Cuba took over, the U S was like, okay, we recognize you that you're a thing. Eisenhower sent an ambassador um, but then pretty quickly, the administration, the Eisenhower administration was like, okay, we need to do something about this because this is, you know, be communism's becoming more and more unlike, like, this is bad. Um, and Fidel Castro was no friend of the no, U.S. No, he did not like the U.S. So the U.S. was I mean, kind of like, yeah, we recognize you mostly because they wanted to maintain some level of trade. And, uh, but Castro was like, no, the Western imperialism, like, this is not... And he had kind of been screwed over by the U.S. providing arms and aid to Batista for years. So right, which makes sense. <laughs> right, you're not immediate friends with the people that helped your <laughs> predecessor. Right, um, which eventually led to the Bay of Pigs in the early '60s, and this was, you know, regarded as one of the most disastrous military engagements that the U.S. has ever has yes. ever had. It was basically we sent this huge array of troops to invade Cuba did not go as planned. I'm sure most of you know the basics on the Bay of Pigs. Uh, but it was, yeah. yeah a huge but it, by it wasn't even like U.S. troops. It was Cuban exiles. So yes. Yes. a lot of the people who fled Cuba when pa Castro came to power was, be, you know, Castro yeah, was very, yes, like, he's the one who wanted to get rid of uh, all of these rich. So like the rich and friends of Bautista were being killed, being shot. Like it was... Uh, not a good time to be a rich friend of Batista. So all of these guys ran to Cuba or ran, ran to Florida and were part of this Cuban exile group that wanted to overthrow Castro. So yeah, I guess the CIA or the US worked with these exiles to get the Bay of Pigs um, invasion going, which failed, like you said, failed miserably. They questioned these Cuban exiles, figured out the US did this, and then Kennedy 
took like full responsibility and right um yeah kind of a disaster yep that led to not long later the cuban missile crisis which was basically the ussr started to get more and more influence in cuba and they placed um, long-range nuclear weapons on cuba and that led to you know yeah the the, the real initial strokes of the uh cold war right which would last yeah, because you know, the next 25 years. after all of this years of uh tension with the u.s and there was trade restrictions um the castros knew that like okay well we're communists we're sort of on terrible terms with the u.s we're going right. to become buddy buddy with the ussr so they were communists at the time they also had like alliances with uh Venezuela and even though Cuba was poor and struggling in a lot of ways they still found time to fight in a lot of USSR sponsored wars overseas and uh, we're just very lock and step with, with USSR so yeah, yeah when they relied war, on the USSR for a lot of their goods and their imports and everything yeah because their economy was struggling without US trade right and once we kind of cut them off after Bay of Pigs and you know, era, it was just kind of, they were really struggling. You can still find, like I was reading articles, and we'll talk about this towards the end, of stories of people that live in Cuba that they still use old Russian appliances and stuff on the yeah. island because that's what was there Imported, for so long. Imported, yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah. Castro stayed around <laughs> for a long time. Yes. So, in a way, right, when the Castro and he partnered with Che Guevara, who was from Argentina. He was a doctor right. who wanted to help people and saw how poor it was. And he kind of became this socialist communist figure. But they, the Castros and Guevara were like by no means peaceful. I mean, they had to take over by force. And uh, in a way, Cuba kind of ended up trading one dictator for another, right? Because right these guys the castros did do some things that they promised to like they did redistribute a lot of the wealth from the wealthy and and there was a lot of like education programs and this is something that i know bernie sanders got in big trouble (laughs) because he had mentioned something like oh well fidel castro did have good education programs and people were like how could you ever say anything good about fidel castro he did all these terrible things Right. And I mean, it's like sort of warranted, but that's not really what this is about. But the important thing to note is there were things that they did, but there were also a, a ton of oppression. Like Guevara um, was, they were brutal. They, like I said, killed and uh, imprisoned people often without trial. There was like a big uh, crackdown on LGBT uh, oh, yeah. people I mean, there. Through all this, freedom of speech is... No, it's still, well, yeah, not, not yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, because Che Guevara, he basically that. considered newspapers and the press to be like a tool of the oligarchy. Right. So there is still not really free press in Cuba today. And that's where, why, as we talk about this a little bit more, it's very hard to figure out what's actually going on in Cuba because there's no free press. And a lot of the numbers we get out of Cuba are suspicious and so on. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that there's this yeah, there's this blend this weird blend. We'll talk more when we get to like modern era. I think there's a lot of a lot of things to look at. But 
yeah, eventually, I mean, I don't know if you want to touch on any of the special period, but went on throughout, you know, the eighties and the Soviet union. And yeah. Um, Cause once the Soviet union collapsed, they were that, like even further into economic ruin and poverty. Right. And they did not accept anything from us at all, even when there was famine until 1993. So there was like two years of terrible famine, terrible famine. Basically. I mean, this is just from their history. Like they ate like everything and just, it was zoo animals, house pets, like sad, sad. Yeah. Um, eventually things got better and Castro the foreign visitors were allowed to come finally in the late nineties. Uh, but there's still like, even in the early two thousands, Castro cracked down on independent journalists and basically said, yeah, none of this is happening. It was all, they're all agents of the U S. Um, and then eventually he withdrew from public life and gave it to his brother in 2008, early 2008. Yes. He kind of fell ill and was sort of unable to really continue. And so Raul Castro was kind of the acting president for two years, but it was officially handed over in 2008. Yeah. And then he was in charge until, when was it? 2012? 2012, yeah. Maybe. 2014, no, that was the whole drama thing. Yeah, I don't know. I'm clicking on it now. Uh, let's see. Anyway, it was not, it was like, I think it was 2015, if I remember correctly. Okay, Raul Castro. Yeah, he was in office until, oh, 2018, it says. Yeah, 18, but, and then Miguel Diaz-Canel is the, was in 19, and then now there's, and he's still the current president. Yes, so. Yep, he's the first one that hasn't been a Castro in many right. years. Yeah, so it basically after the Soviet Union collapse, it was also partnered with Venezuela, which we all know is doing terrible. Um, right. Cuba has, has definitely struggled in a lot of ways. Um, do we want to talk a little bit about like current life there or kind of life after USSR's collapse. Yeah, let's just kind of talk about kind of the the pros and cons that we hear from from both sides and kind of current life. I did a, a some deep dives into reading stories by um, people that have lived there. There's a book I want to or like I was interested in. It's like up a I can't remember the name of it. I was trying to look it up earlier, um, but basically just outlining all these different stories of different people that have lived in Cuba throughout these different eras. Um, and just sharing like what their lives were like. There's one story that was in the independent that was very um, pro um, Cuba from Fidel Castro's era and just kind of talking about how, you know, everyone has access to all of these things, free healthcare, free water, free, you know, movies and everything. Because everything's owned by the government, so they can control all these prices. So like movies are super cheap, public transportation is super cheap. All this stuff is super low cost. Um, and so he was saying, you know, no Cuban would want to um, not have those things. But then I also read plenty of stories on the other side that's just like freedom of speech and access to basic 
what you what we would think of as very normal amenities today right. are just not available. Yeah. Um, and there's so much like, okay, yeah, they have access to all these things, but none of them are near as good as they would be in a traditional capitalist society. Um, and they're not, they don't have access to anything better. Um, and I think as a Christian, I was reading about a lot of the freedom of um, religion stuff that they have. And a lot of them are, are like culturally Catholic, but in general, it is very much cracked down on um, the freedom of religion there. My, one of my coworkers, he knew, he knows this pastor that we actually interviewed for um, one of our newsletters um, editions. And he was, he left in 2016, I want to say, came to the U.S. But he was arrested several times for sharing his faith every time. In, in Cuba. In Cuba, yeah. And when Obama came to visit, or whenever like big foreign leaders would come to visit, they would lock up for a couple of days a lot of like the dissenters. Uh, and so he was arrested when he was trying to to share uh, kind of what was going on and how he couldn't share his faith very often. He was trying to do that when Obama was coming and there's like video of him getting arrested by Cuban police and taken to taken to prison. Uh -huh. um, anyway, so he's just, his story is worth reading and um, is really cool. Um, but yeah, so there's just kind of, you know, there's different perspectives and different stories that are coming from yeah uh, from different angles of the of the country yeah it so. definitely seems to be the case that a lot of the cubans that have fled or have lived there recently or americans that have visited just say that like yeah it's it's a tough place to live it you know there's equality in the sense that like a lot of people have access to the same sorts of things but in general it's not good quality, like you said, like food, there's long lines for food. Um, there's uh, like a monthly pension and then there's a monthly food amount. And yeah. A bunch, it's all these regimented kind of regimented right. kind of things. Uh, one of the most honest, so I also did just like research on Reddit and Quora and a bunch of different places just to read stories of people and there was or at least alleged, alleged stories, right? Yeah, alleged <laughs> stories. Yeah, I don't know how much of this is true. It's just all um, personal observation. But I think it's worth just yeah, like absolutely. understanding, trying to hear from people that live there. And one guy who lived there for a couple of years was talking about like, it is just a very um, simple life, if that makes sense. And just yeah. like, yeah, you have access to all of these things, but that's, a, that's about it. Right. You know? um, it kind of feels like a light or a diet form of North Korea, right? Like North Korea, it's like extremely closed and I'm sure they have like very basic things that they're allowed, but there's no freedoms really. And then Cuba seems like a diet version of that. Like they have a little more variety. People are allowed to go. Cause I, and I think until 2013, uh, Cubans could not leave the country unless they were authorized by the government. Mm -hmm. And that was often denied. And uh, officially, you can leave now. I don't know. Maybe it's more complicated than that. But at least on paper, you're allowed to leave. Um, but yeah, it's it's very hard to get gasoline. And um, I'm sure there's plenty of corruption. I know that like they have free health care. But if you if something happens to you, like you're not allowed to sue the doctors. And um, 
yeah, it just sounds scary. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. There's a lot of, a lot of craziness. I think it's going to be interesting to compare it to if we do other countries. I know there's countries, I think it's Singapore that has also low levels of um, freedom of speech and kind of like the tip, the, a lot of the First Amendment kind of stuff that we think of in the U.S., but they have a very, very prosperous economy and it's very wealthy. Uh, so it'll be interesting to kind of compare like why that is there and maybe the state-owned business and all that kind of stuff that really yeah. makes the difference. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's super interesting. Yeah, and I think kind of viewing all of this history, at least to me, it seems like, okay, well, the state system of uh, production is not really working. Like, I think a lot of people, even who are more left-leaning, would say, yeah, we don't, we don't ever want what Cuba has, which is like state-controlled. We prefer like a mix or right. something like that. But I think on top of that, um, we have to give Cuba some credit, like it has been through the ringer in every sense of the word. And um, not only does it have state-owned uh, industries, it also has no trade with the U.S. and yeah, for being an island, trade. like for being in the place it is, it doesn't have the infrastructure that a place like America has, and the ability to rely on itself near as much. It's done impressively well, and so I would definitely take it a like it's not one of the worst places to live on the you know, it, it's not right one of the worst places in the world. Yeah, it seems like one of those things where like if the Cuban government decides it's interested in something, it will be able to pour resources into it. Like they have been developing COVID vaccine, for example. Right. But again, like the morality of that kind of comes into question when a lot of the people there do live in poverty or have just very few choices or ability to go to school, get gasoline. Like, is that really your priority? But that's kind of how it is when your government is large. Like it gets to pick and choose. Right, what, what the that priorities are. are. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, uh, I think just that freedom of of press and freedom of religion just are, are so yes. key in my mind to like a prosperous society. And I think that is so, since that is so lacking, I just see that as a big negative, which I think just comes with the fact that a state controlled, or often comes the fact of a state controlled, because once you control other aspects, you want to control that as well. Or it's hard to control the other stuff without controlling that. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, so. There's very little free press, um, or no free press, I guess. Yeah, I don't know if it's all government run, but I just know that there's really there's really not a lot. Let's see. Um, yeah, I read something interesting. I'm pulling that. Yeah, the up. media is basically there's three national newspapers, four national TV stations and a bunch of and like five radio stations and they're all government run pretty much yeah it looks so. like only 25 percent of cubans use the internet while only five percent of homes are connected making it one of the america's least connected countries which is wild when you think of like how much do you you know so you may have these basic things provided for to keep you alive but it's not it's not prospering like a lot of other right Central and South American countries that have access to the internet and just their yeah. cell phones and all rank, of the 21st century stuff. Right. Ranks very low on the press freedom index. Right. Um, prohibits private ownership of media. Yeah. 
so I wanted to touch on briefly, like, so I've seen, and this is from a, uh, some conservative uh, author, but he was posted these UN Sustainable Development Goals in 2017 and kind of noted like Cuba is listed fairly high uh, and the US is listed fairly low. And at first glance, it's like, oh, that's really interesting. And you kind of see it's all color coded and you can compare the different things. And yeah. it's pretty easy to see, you know, you can might, you might just assume like, oh, okay, this is cool. But you, I think it's worth like looking into these things and defining the stuff behind them, which <laughs> right. I think we should do that for everything, right? Yes. Um, but like, you know, the U.S. ranks mid to low in, in poverty levels and the Cuba ranks high. And it's like, what does that mean? The poverty, basically how they define it in this study is equality and like the levels of, so even if the, the, the poverty is not as high, like as long as they're equal. So it's just kind of right. interesting to see the difference in how they define things or the climate yes. action climate action is considered much, much higher in Cuba because they don't produce emissions and they don't produce all of these things. But it's also because they're tiny and they don't have the means of production. <laughs> right, right. They're not, yeah, they're not set up to do that. Yeah, so it's just pretty interesting. Yes. Um, so I just thought that was, those were worth mentioning because I've, yeah. I've seen that before in other studies like East or South American countries or whatever rated as much higher than the U.S. and that makes me wonder why, but right. at least. Yeah, absolutely. It may be true, but it's worth looking at the reasons behind those things. Yeah. So. Well, I'm very curious to sort of see where the Cuban economy goes from here and... Especially uh, with this new, uh, new private businesses and kind of change it, a lot yeah. of change, so. We'll see if it's actual, actual change or just sort of paper change like it's always kind of hard to tell with these nations sometimes right. these things take a while to go into effect so we'll sit tight i don't expect any drastic changes right away but uh, maybe uh maybe a little bit so yeah we'll see also if the biden administration uh how it handles cuba like it will probably tend to follow more obama's uh approach which was trying to improve and uh, not, you know, it might remove them from the list of state sponsors of terrorism or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's very curious. Very curious. Which, yeah, and I'm, I'm like pretty globalist. And so I would say like, you know, let's do what the US can do, provided resources like to help lift these nations up because they also have goods and services that are like worth trading for. And like, you know, like let's, Open up the markets. Yeah, right? let's open up the markets, exactly. So, yeah, it's going to be curious. All right. Anything else about Cuba? Thanks for um, hanging with yeah. us on history stuff. Uh, but yes. I think, yeah, it's just, I really enjoy just reading stories and getting to uh, understand the, the culture a little bit more. And I mean, obviously, I have a lot of other things to learn about it, but. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was very interesting. It's it's one of those things with socialism, like that we have a few of these socialist countries, but a lot of them tend to uh, come with just terrible human rights, and uh, you you sort of when you're debating socialism, it it just seems very true that like, well, we haven't really had a socialist state that didn't have terrible human rights violations. So 
because of the human rights being so terrible, it's never gotten along well with uh, the U.S. and other trade partners. And because of that, it's kind of crippled its economy. And again, it's like, right. it's hard to have that pure case study on socialism when it's like such, uh, has such baggage attached to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it can't, it's not yeah. a true closed system. So we'll never really know in that. Yeah, there's no good one example. So yeah, I'm definitely interested to look at uh, European economies, those kind of northern uh, Scandinavian countries that have much more socialist systems than yeah. the U.S. does, although they yes. wouldn't be considered true socialism right. consider, compared to somewhere like Cuba. But yeah. it's I'm, a, I'm excited to take a look at that. And yeah, compare. hopefully it's something we can so. return to here and there for sure. Yeah. All right. Um, I think it's my week for recommendation. It is. Do you have a recommendation for us? Yes, I do. I have, I have sort of two half recommendations. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you can first, do half of it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, so the first is, uh, this is not the first time I've recommended Taylor Swift, but she is releasing a bunch of her old albums, like Fearless. Oh, is yeah, I read that today. Yeah, so the first song is coming out. I, I think it's Love Story. It's coming out tonight at midnight, so it should be out by the time this airs. Um, so I'm recommending that in advance. <laughs> you should <laughs> go check out. I don't know why it wouldn't be good, because Love Story is a fantastic song. And then have you ever heard of the band, uh, or maybe it's just the one guy, uh, Bleachers? Uh, I don't think so. Sounds vaguely familiar. So Bleachers, I think it's just one guy. Uh, it's, I, let me see. Oh, he's got a song with Bruce Springsteen. Interesting. He's got a bunch of stuff. So really interesting band. I knew this one song from Features called uh, I Want to Get Better. It's a tremendous okay. song. Okay. It's, Google says it counts as a pop band. So it's not just one guy. But basically the guy who's the front man for it, his name is Jack Antonoff. And he was in the band Fun, which obviously – Oh yeah, fun, fun had huge hits. Yeah, so he he was a big part of fun, or I guess a, an integral part of fun. Went on to do the Bleachers. Uh, he's done other stuff. He worked extremely closely with Taylor Swift on uh, folklore. And if you oh, watch, just one of the guys that did help with folklore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you watch okay. the folklore thing on Disney Plus, he's like the guy that has the white shoes and the younger guy and. He was a big part of that. He's he's really talented. Okay, I, I've been listening to a bunch of the hits by Bleachers. You should check them out. They're kind of, I don't know what to call. It. They're kind of poppy, like indie pop. Is They're similar to Colony House, it. Coin. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of like fun, but more indie. Like yeah, more indie. Because like fun isn't straight pop, but it's definitely. It's, anyway, it's, it's really good. His okay. the songs are great. Don't uh, I want to get better? Is amazing. Don't take the money's great. Forty five's great. Good morning's great. Like they're all great. Cool. Um, all right. I'll that's my recommendation. Uh, you want to give us an outro? Yes. Thank you so much for joining with joining us, and hope you hope you learned a little bit about Cuba today, or at least were spurred to uh, do some more research yourself. And um, yeah, I think this will be this could be a fun series. Um, we are critical conversations. You can find us on YouTube. As our video version, you can find us on Spotify and Pocket Casts and all other places where podcasts are found for the audio version. Uh, we are on Facebook at Critical Conversations. You can follow us there to get updates uh, when the episodes air. And yeah, 
this has been another good week. So yeah. Thanks for watching guys. Yeah. Or listening. All right. See you next week.